Discovering Asian dramas back in 2018 was an enlightening moment for me, and I've never looked back. I enjoy talking about them just as much as watching them, so much so that I decided to create a podcast with a heavier focus on Chinese dramas, but passing through Korean, Japanese, Thai and Filipino dramas. Welcome to the Tea and Soju Asian Drama Podcast, your corner for drama talking. For more Tea and Soju content, consider joining Patreon, where I release extra reviews and polls. Everything is linked in the episode description. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Tea and Soju Asian Drama Podcast. I'm your host Liliana and in today's episode we've got another guest series and it's a very special one because I have not one but two guests and they're going to be teaching me something because we're going to be talking about Chinese historical dramas. They also have a podcast and I'm going to let them introduce that and introduce themselves. So Kathy, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. Hi, everyone. Very excited to be here on this podcast. Um, this is Kathy. I am a co-host of the Chasing Dramas podcast series. Karen, I'll turn it over to you. Hi, I am the other co-host for Chasing Dramas. Uh, my name is Karen, and Chasing Dramas is a podcast that originally started to discuss Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas, but we have recently expanded to be more uh, up-to-date and provide up-to-date information on Chinese dramas as they air and also keep you in the know on Chinese entertainment news. That's true. I do really like like your bite size in the know episodes because again, we were just discussing this offline. I don't follow like like the entertainment business that much in, you know, China. I love the dramas, but I tend to stay away a little bit from all of that. But it's really good to just go in and listen to like those bite size episodes that you guys put out. And then I was like, oh now I know. Now like I'm in the know. And I don't have to do like all the uh searching, which I'm sure you guys it, it must take quite a bit of work to do that aspect of it it's all right i think a lot of people um you know it, it's just easier because we can read and write mm. chinese so it's easy to kind of just follow that but certainly it's probably not healthy the amount of weibo scrolling and you know online scrolling that we're doing to uh keep up to date on all all the developments i have tried i will say i have tried weibo like they had like the international app but I was like, I can't do this. Like the, <laughs> it's so like the international app just isn't great. Their yeah. translations weren't too bad. I will say like, they weren't just understandable. Like I could get the gist and, you know, swap a couple of words in and out. Um, but the app itself, I was like, and it's not like, I think it's one of those apps that it isn't, unless it, you really understand the Chinese version of it, then it's, you know, it's not that worth it i follow like twitter accounts that post everything like from weibo but into twitter and they'll post it in english so that's like as far as i go into that side of it um so we've got some questions we'll go into those and i'm really excited the first one i've got down is how did you come to watch chinese historical dramas or chinese dramas in general like how did you guys come into this world of you know chinese entertainment yeah, so I'll take this question actually. So um, our parents, you know, we're sisters, our parents would watch those particular historical Chinese dramas growing up. And in the States, we would watch along with them. And this was a way really just to understand my family's culture and history as well. So at the time they would be buying, you know, uh, VHSs, then it was VCDs, then DVDs, and then now it's of course streaming. But I remember sitting in the living room with the whole family watching with my family. And then the most that were popular at the time, thinking, you know, in the late 90s, it would be Pearl Princess or else the wuxia drama, such as The Legend of the Condor Heroes. Um, we wanted to learn more. And these were all very much historical fiction, but they were based off of, for example, the Qing Dynasty or, for example, the Song Dynasty or Yuan Dynasty. So they were based in history and we would always say, oh my goodness, I want to learn more. And for a lot of these, they would have books in addition to the actual, mm -hmm. um, you know, the dramas or actually these dramas would be based off of these books. So that's how kind of we started to learn from the dramas and then dove in a little bit deeper with the books themselves. 
that's was it something do you guys this is not a question but i hope it's not too bad or too hard of a question yeah. like was it easy for your parents to get hold of those like tapes and stuff back you know in the day or was it something that you know maybe was quite hard to get hold of back then so i can take this i think it was certainly like you had to go to china to yeah. buy the dvds or vcds and there were certain um i remember uh, growing up in the States, there were certain Chinese stores that stopped them. Um, so, you know, you just got to go see what's available. But I certainly remember having to ask my aunts and uncles to be like, mm -hmm. I want to see this drama. Do you think you have, you have the, you can buy the DVDs and, you know, they would bring them over whenever like family members would come visit or if my parents would go to China. And so that's pretty much how we got our uh, fill of Chinese yeah. dramas. See, I feel like this is like so interesting because to me, I've always known, you know, the streaming media because that's how I've always watched dramas. I, you know, I started watching Chinese dramas back in 2018. So by then, like pretty much all the platforms were pretty well established. So it's so interesting to me to get like that perspective because it must have been, you know, a lot harder. Well, obviously, if you guys had to get it like from China itself, it must have been a lot harder. But it's it must have been um you know it must it must be quite nice now to have it way more readily available for you guys to like watch and also do you guys watch it with english subtitles or do you not need them at all yeah i didn't think you would yeah. <laughs> we're shaking our heads <laughs> yeah they are shaking their heads because so, for me i i i do want to try i've started um to like learn mandarin i feel way intimidated because like i i'm bilingual as well like i was born in portugal but moved to the uk when i was young and learning english to me was very very simple because i feel like english is a pretty simple language but when it came to like learning and like even trying french out or spanish you know any of like the languages that are like near portugal they're pretty simple for me to grasp obviously when you go into asia whole different ball game like whole different obviously language and whatnot so i i do want to learn uh mandarin uh because there's dramas like especially if it's in mango tv drama their subs are horrendous and i just cannot like some people can watch it i have friends who will watch it with those subs and they can grasp everything and i'm like i, I don't understand like you, you're having That's to so do funny. puzzle words here to like get it so yeah i've always said my one superpower that i would love to have is to just be able to understand and speak all languages fluently because you know it's i feel like that's a, a god-given gift that is um so next up what prompted you to start a podcast about like chinese dramas specifically yeah um to be honest it was just a passion project where we thought hey you know we have the ability to speak read and write in mandarin and speak english fluently and i think that really is the unique proposition mm -hmm. that we have here um even growing up in the states i feel like there are you know, learning Chinese has been challenging because you're trying to uh, immerse yourself in the like the American culture. But we just loved Chinese dramas. We love Chinese history and culture from the Chinese dramas. And so we thought, why not talk about them? We also do have to give thanks to our ability of reading, writing, and speaking Chinese to these Chinese dramas. People are always asking my parents, like, how did your daughters learn to speak, you know, Chinese so well or read Chinese? And for, for them, they're like, they just watched a lot of Chinese TV. I love that. I love that. I really, really love the fact that do you think if you guys hadn't gotten interested in like Chinese dramas that you wouldn't have picked up like, a, you know, Mandarin or do you guys, wait, do you guys speak Mandarin? Is it Mandarin that you both yeah, speak? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. absolutely not. Um, like we, I would say we are probably, the, you know, some of the most immersed in Chinese culture people that you will meet. Mm -hmm. um, like if you've listened to our podcast you know like I play the Chinese zither um you know we've done Chinese martial arts like I play bamboo flute cat we do calligraphy like a lot of things that are very like Chinese culture oriented and a huge part of that is just because god we saw this on tv like this is so cool let's try mm -hmm. it out um and you know I think that's 
like something hopefully we are inspiring people to do because you know, learning Chinese is, can be fun. And actually I feel like growing up, um, people may have been intimidated by learning Chinese, but as you, you just said, learning Mandarin can be fun by watching these Chinese dramas because, you know, there's so much, um, available, whether it is history or culture, or just having fun watching the dramas. I think it's a way to, you know, make this not a a homework project, but something that can be very entertaining as well. I really love the fact that you guys like in a way um you know through Chinese dramas you kind of like it got it brought they brought you more into you know in touch with that part of your culture and I think it's always so important to like stay you know whether you know immigrants in general it's always really hard I find to stay in tune with like your culture and I always find that it's so my I my mum when I was very young obviously moved to the UK my mum would always say like you're at home you need to speak Portuguese because otherwise you're gonna lose it and I don't want you to do that and I used to hate it when she was you know when I was young I used to absolutely hate it that she would make me speak uh you know Portuguese but now like as a fully grown adult I'm like I'm so glad that she did because it's like I would have hated to not be able to connect with like that part of the uh the culture um and like i also mentioning about your podcast this is why i love listening to your guys's episodes because i feel like there's lots of um you know korean drama podcasts out there because you know there just is and um, and i feel like there's not a lot of like chinese ones but i love the fact that you guys do have that like in-depth and insight to be able to um explain things in a way that you know i wouldn't be able to understand like I can review dramas I can talk about what I love but I can't go into like those areas until because I don't have that background so I love listening to your podcast and like getting that you know insight from it so you guys do a wonderful job you really do um thank you really we really appreciate that uh so uh next up i wrote this question but i feel like this is an easy one to answer because i feel like you're both so how well versed do you consider yourselves to be in chinese historical dramas specifically so i wouldn't say we are you know 100 percent well versed because you know we we won't say we watched everything Mm. because we did grow up in the u.s so there is some divide we did watch our own you know the american shows like you know loved Parks and Rec, all that type of stuff. So we would have our, you know, Chinese dramas and then our American dramas or even the British dramas that we watch. But I think we really did keep up with the major shows and kept up with the times, especially since, you know, family time was really watching TV. Like we wanted to talk about, you know, what happened in the Han Dynasty. Then we would say, let's watch the show and then talk to our parents about it or else I'll read a book about it. after the, you know, after internet and streaming became, you know, everybody became more and more connected, we then started watching, seeing what other people in China were watching, and that's how we also kept up. And we, Karen and I really joke that we actually watched like the most popular Chinese historical dramas pretty much over the past 25 years because, you know, that's what folks in China are reminiscing <laughs> of, you know, of them growing up. So, you know, thinking about our favorite actors and actresses over the past couple of years or past, past decades, they seem to be the same ones that most everybody in China knows about as well. So, um, you know, having that background and really, you know, keeping up with the times, we wouldn't say we have seen every single show, but we have covered quite a bit. I I was thinking about it the, about this the other day as well. It's the fact that um, I always feel like what is popular in China is very different to what's popular like internationally in terms of like Chinese dramas in general. So that's also something I quite appreciate about listening to your podcast is the fact that you can go in and you guys will have like that insight from what's happening in China, like what's big in China and not necessarily like internationally because I feel like what does well in China doesn't necessarily do does well all the time I mean not all the time but a lot of the time like you know something that is because I feel like they like historical dramas over there but they don't do quite as well internationally I don't think um and I feel like some of that may be because you know as an international fan because you don't know the history you can kind of like almost get lost in it um and not understand like the significance of what they're trying to tell you and 
um yeah i feel like you know listening to your guys is a perspective um on it is quite good to like get those extra meanings that's what you know what i'm trying to get at so yeah and actually i think that's the whole point of the like why we started our podcast is because of so many of these nuances of these super popular historical chinese dramas that we loved in terms of uh you know creating an interest in Chinese mm. history that we just, we real, we absolutely knew that American or Western audiences yeah. would have no idea what they meant. And so we were like, we have the ability to explain this. It is a passion of ours. You know, we enjoy it. So why not spend the time to talk about it? Yeah. I think like one of the ones of the dramas that comes to mind to me very easily, um, it's not necessarily, well, it's, his period set but you know uh, it's the drama word of honor they use a lot of poetry yeah. in that drama and until i went and looked it up it like everything went over my head and i was like after i looked it up i was like oh my god there's so much more hidden in what they're saying and what they're doing than i could ever grasp without somebody you know that knows what they're talking about like explaining it to me so i always like i am so appreciative to people who do know like to take their time and like explaining it because i feel like we can get so much more out of the dramas that way um so yeah that that one was a big one that i was like i need to go and find out what the what's happening um so what a next question what makes historical chinese drama stand out do you think Sure. So I think there are a few different types of historical dramas and you actually touched on it where there's one is that there are the actual uh, historical dramas that is engaging, but also steeped in history and culture. They are the ones that make you like the characters, the story, but also the world that it reflects. You know, I particularly enjoy the dramas that make you reflect on the time period and also makes me go do research and go down a rabbit hole, whether it's by or Wikipedia, and then go on to, you know, whether it's primary sources or whatnot to learn more about the history. That is why Empresses in the Palace or Zhen Huan Zhuan and the story of Ming Lan, Zhi Fou, Zhi Fou, Ying Shi Liu, Fei Hong Shou stand out so much in China. Those two are probably one of the, you know, some of the most popular historical Chinese dramas in China and also gaining a lot of popularity in the States. The other kind of historical drama is what you said, those period pieces yeah. that is, you know, people are dressed up in historical, you know, outfits, but it's not set in a real historical time period. There are these dramas that stand out where they are able to create an extremely immersive world with their own customs or kingdoms and cultures that you could really believe in and enjoy. So the types of dramas that would fit this bill are Joy of Life, um, it came out in 2019, or Qing Yunyan, and then also the very popular um, classic now is Nirvana in Fire, mm. Lang Yabang. Both of them are not based on history per se, but they are. They do include a lot of historical components. They reference poems and you know prose from various masters, and also just the culture and world building that is created in those dramas are fantastic. So those are you know the types of dramas that are also highly entertaining. Not necessarily historical, but yeah. uh, I guess they have those historical components. You've touched on three dramas that are on my to watch list. They are <laughs> Joy of Life, but I hear there's a second season and I keep thinking I just want to push it out until like it's closer to that second season since I haven't watched it yet. Um, but that is definitely on my to watch list. Minglan, I, I've, I've heard so many good things about this drama that I definitely want to watch it. And Nirvana and Fire is also like in my uh, in my to watch. So those three are like highly up there. I've heard many good things. I've heard that like the story building of it are very, you know, they're very, very well written dramas. So I'm quite interested to go in. I feel like I need to do one at a time, like watch one and then do like, you know, slowly, I feel like um, it's going to be a, a project of mine to make it through one of those. Um, so my recommendation for those is Joy of Life and Nirvana and Fire are more easily digestible. Yeah. 
Um, if, and because it's not like set in history, they're much more easily, yeah, like viewable. The story of Minglan, we did do a podcast series about it. It's highly entertaining. You know, there are some points that are just like, it's just funny and like a easy watch, but there yeah. is a lot of history in it that you may not really understand if yeah, you're yeah, just yeah. coming at it just, you know, blind. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, Minglan, I've heard. I've got a friend of mine who loved it, absolutely loved it. And she actually did go and like dig into the history afterwards because she was just so curious about everything that they were talking about. And I feel like if a drama can do that, if it can make you curious enough to go and look at like, you know, to learn more, then I think. I feel like a historical has done its job, you know, exactly. in a sense, uh, because it's made you curious enough. And I feel, you know, that's one of the good things. So next up, what are some of the weaknesses and strong suits of Chinese uh, historical dramas, do you think? So I'll start off with the weaknesses. And one of the main ones right now, I believe, is really the screenwriting. It's very rare right now to get a drama that is as engaging as, let's say, Empresses in the Palace or the story of Minglan. There is a reason why there's, there's probably a handful that you can pick from from the past decade. Oftentimes, screenwriters just adapt a source material rather poorly and then call it a day. They hope that the strength of the original IP will draw viewers, but then they make a little effort to really like translate the source material to the screen. I also think that the script will be much more mellow with regards to people's motivations or even scandals and plots. Um, and I see that a lot in book adaptations. Also right now, you know, they're probably, I think there's only like a 40 episode limit. So they need to squeeze a lot in and, or there's just some topics that can be covered in books that can't really be translated on screen. Mm -hmm. So that's why a lot of times, you know, you might have these beautiful and gorgeous period dramas um, or, you know, historical fiction dramas that just don't really capture the eye because the screenwriting is rather poor. Now, the strength, though, is luckily for Chinese history, there's a treasure trove of history to choose from. <laughs> so, you know, with over, you know, 2,500 years of history and written history to pick from, there's always so many topics with which a drama can choose to focus on. So for example, we're going to go back to the story of Minglan. This was set in the Song dynasty and focused on a particular household. For example, like if you're the daughter, not from a main wife, how does she navigate her life? But then right at around the same time period, you have Qingping Yue, which is serenade of peaceful joy, which then focused on the same time period with the emperor. So you can have so many various facets of the just same 10, 20 year time period over the course of you know, 2,500 years of history that you can pick from. It's just, again, that screenwriting really needs to match the history that <laughs> you're given to play with. Not play with, but really to draw from. Yeah, I feel like I've always said, um, and I feel like what you've touched on for the strong suit is something that is not just for historical dramas. It's like for Chinese dramas in general, when it comes to like, um, you know, we were talking about like fantasy. I, you know, I'm a fantasy lover. There's so much in like Chinese mythology and culture and whatnot that they can pick at to, you know, make these dramas that will be so uniquely, uniquely Chinese. Like you won't get them anywhere else. And the history is like so vast and there's so much of it that, you know, you can pick from a lot of, you know, history um, to go with. So yeah, that, that's definitely one of the, uh, the, the strong suits for it. So next up, what are the main dynasties used in Chinese historical dramas? Um, so what I mean by that is there's, you know, which dynasties do you think are the ones that keep coming up over and over again? And just like if you guys have like any, you know, mini brief description about them, that would be great. Because I feel like there's one or two that I tend to see a lot more, but I'd be interested to see what you guys, um, you know, say. Sure. So <clears throat> these things actually come in waves. Um, the Qing Dynasty dramas were very, very popular up until just a few years ago. And this is, can be a whole separate topic on Chinese entertainment censorship of mm -hmm. like what yeah. um, you are allowed to show or uh, film and produce on screen. But up until the last couple of years, Qing Dynasty dramas were very popular because one, there's 
are a lot of stories to tell and we have the historical references available just because the Qing dynasty was much more recent in terms of history. So we have uh, historical documents or relics to look through. If we think about the most popular historical dramas, these include Empresses in the Palace, the story of Yanxi Palace, Palace or Gongso Xinyu, and then there's Startling with Each Step, which is Bu Bu Jinxing, and then also Pearl Princess, Huan Zhu Gogo, all of them set during the Qing Dynasty. And growing up, there were plenty of other Qing Dynasty dramas that caught eyeballs. It helps because many of the emperors during the Qing Dynasty had fascinating lives, as well as the people around them. So if you think about Emperor Shunzhi with his tragic love story with Dong Lefei, Emperor Kangxi with his fight uh, with Albai and his love life. You know, we have Emperor Yongzheng fighting his brothers for the throne. Emperor Qianlong with so many possible stories to tell because of how long he lived and various conquests in his life. That is why I would say, you know, my hunch is why there are so many dramas set in the Qing Dynasty. Now, if we take a step back, um, there are the, I would say the other popular uh, dynasties to look at are the Tang dynasty and then also the Han dynasties because there are powerful leaders that helped translate intriguing stories then on screen. So for example, the Tang dynasty, which um, existed over a thousand years ago and is most likely the uh, dynasty that we will be exploring next in our uh, series. Mm -hmm. um, we have that dynasty that started with an epic downfall of the Sui dynasty. And then you had Emperor Li Shimin's brutal murder of his brothers at Xuanwu Gate to secure the throne. And then his subsequent liaison with the famous Wu Zetian, who then married his son and allowed her to become the only female emperor in Chinese history. So every dynasty oh, certainly true. has a few dramas here and there, but I would say in broad strokes, looking at historical Chinese dramas as a whole, the Qing dynasty, Tang dynasty, and Han dynasties are perhaps the most popular, or you could say bloated in terms of content. Yeah, um, I think the one that I've watched most out is probably the Qing dynasty. That is the one that I tend to, um, you know, the one that I tend to, or that I've watched most of, um, you know, in terms of Chinese historical dramas. But I am interested to like watch more out of that. There is, uh, and I don't know which one this is. You guys are going to have to try and tell me because it's the one, and I'm probably going to sound really rude. I'm not trying to, but it's the one dynasty where men tend to have the front of their head shaved and then like the back into a braid. Which dynasty is that one? Do you guys know? Yes. So that is actually the Qing dynasty. So that yeah. is the last, yeah, the last Chinese dynasty. And um, the reason why Karen was saying uh, it's the most recent is because the dynasty fell only in uh, 1912. So that's pretty recent. Um, yeah, pretty recent. Um, you know, when we talked to my grandparents or, you know, my great grandparents, they would remember, for example, what their family was like when, you know, their uh, fathers or grandfathers still had those braids, you know, back in the 20th century, early 20th century. That is crazy. I did not know that it was that recent. Like I knew it was, you know, it had fallen recently, but I didn't know it was like that recent in terms of, you know, the timeline. That's really, really interesting, actually. Um, and so if you go to Beijing right now, um, there are still plenty of uh, courtyards that have, you know, houses and, you know, decorations from the Qing dynasty, you know, we did talk, we did talk about this in our, some of our podcast episodes about foot binding, which was a culture mm. or custom in uh, the Qing dynasty. And for example, my great grandmother um, had her foot bound when she was growing up. And uh, so it's not as far as people mm. think it is, even though in the last 150 years in, you know, history, so much has changed and modern day China looks so different from the Qing dynasty. Um, and that's a whole nother topic of yeah. you know, Chinese history that we can get into. Um, but that, I think that's why the Qing dynasty is so, you know, so popular because like I mentioned, it started in the 15th, 16th century, and then all the way up until 1912. And there's just so much content that we have actual historical records for. Yeah. Whereas the Han Dynasty, 
is 2000 years ago. The Tang dynasty is a thousand years ago. And then for a lot of the other dynasties, you know, you could say the Song dynasty, it's beautiful, but guess what? They ended up, it ended up in, you know, the, the Mongolians coming in and taking over. So it's not the, the best story to tell. Same mm. thing with maybe the Ming dynasty. Um, so I think there's, you want to showcase like a winning side. And so you have to be very careful in terms of uh, which historical time period you pick because that can be a delicate matter. Yeah, um, like you mentioned, a censorship is quite a thing in Chinese dramas, isn't it? I actually, I, I, I have wanted to do um, a um, episode on like censorship because a lot of people don't know, like if they're just going blind into Chinese dramas, they have no idea that like, you know, censorship is a thing because it's something that perhaps, you know, in their dramas, they haven't had to dealt with. And I remember when I first started watching, I was like, stuff would happen and you'd be like, why is that? Like, why is that? The story doesn't warrant that. Like, why is it going that way or something like that? And it was really interesting to start reading up on, you know, censorship and what it entails. And um, I can definitely see like them not, you know, but that's with any country. You wouldn't want to show like your bad side or your losing side. Like you'd want to put your best foot forward and like dramas and entertainment is a way to do that within any country. It's not just Asia. It's like, you know, West or whatever. It's completely a form of soft power that any country will use. So, um, yeah, that's really interesting. I had no idea that it was like that recent. I'm like, I'm a little bit shocked that, you know, I didn't know it was quite that uh, recent. So next question up, what dynasty do you individually tend to gravitate towards or do you prefer out of, you know, everything that you've watched? So I if I could choose, um, I personally think that the Tang Dynasty is so fascinating because we have in that time period, like I mentioned, the only female emperor uh, in all of Chinese history. And in the Tang Dynasty, you also see a rise in women in power and they have their own fascinating stories where Chinese history is generally, you know, a patriarchy. And so the fact that during the Tang Dynasty, you had such powerful women uh, is such a unique, I guess, space to explore. And plenty of the dramas um, that do showcase that time period um, try to showcase a more uh, powerful and successful kind of like side of women that I think is very unique. And plus, like when you think about the vastness of the Tang Dynasty, so this was about a thousand years ago, the Tang Dynasty, which you will see if you um, watch uh, The Longest Day in Chang'an, which is the drama that we will talk about next for our, mm -hmm. our podcast series, it is so diverse. They had in Chang'an um, tons and tons of merchants from all over the world. And that was such a unique place for people to come together. And it was probably like the center of the world at that yeah. point. Um, we think about how, you know, connected our world is now, but if we look back in the Tang Dynasty a thousand years ago, it was the place to be. And so um, telling various stories up from the poets that we have, like for example, Levi is one of the most famous poets. He lived during the Tang Dynasty and his interactions with the royal and imperial family during that time is interesting. You have all of these other writers, singers, et cetera. It, it was such a beautiful and lavish place to live that you know we do get to see that on screen. Um, and it's such just such a interesting place to continue to learn more about. Um, I, I, you guys are saying that's your next, you know, pod review. I think, I feel like that might be a good way for me to watch it, to like watch it along with you guys, if that makes sense. Like as you, you know, review the episodes. So I might have to, you know, do that and schedule that in. Um, but also you were saying about the, um, the uh empress the only empress do you know if there's any dramas or anything that was done based on her story at all plenty so her uh story is one of the most popular and it has made the careers of um she is an older woman now Liu Xiaoqing because she played the empress and then actually the now censored Fan Bingbing did have a drama about 
um, uh, Wu Zetian or the Empress. Mm -hmm. um, so she pops up in so many dramas uh, as of late. For example, actually in um, Feng Qi Luoyang or Luoyang, which is a drama that came out uh, last year, they portrayed her. Um, so she is always out and about. Like people love to talk about her, um, or if not show her on screen, talk about her impact. So certainly yeah. it's like, you know, she is a mythical character in Chinese historical dramas. See, I feel like I'd be really, really interested in watching something that is like surrounded, like based on her story. I feel like that would be so different to anything I've watched because, you know, it's a woman that has the power and, you know, that's so, like you said, Chinese, um, you know, history has been very much patriarchal. So it'd be really, really interesting. You guys will have to let me know, like, which one I should watch because I feel like I would love to watch something that's like based on her story. Um, I just feel like it'd be really interesting. Um, so Kathy, what do you about like which dynasty do you think you gravitate towards? Sure. So for me, I mean, Karen took the Tang Dynasty. Um, I love that too. I'll make a quick plug. Um, if you want to learn more about that female emperor, you'll be in for a treat because there's quite a bit of a scandal in there as well um, but uh i i would actually take and uh take the han dynasty um which is this dynasty was started in around 220 200 200 bc um there was a small blip in around like you know the turn of the millennia and then it came it ended around officially uh, at the in 200 AD and then went straight into like the three kingdoms period. I personally really like the Han dynasty because um, it really set the the context and was really the culture for a lot of Chinese culture now today. So in China, the majority of folks identify the uh, ethnicity would be Han Chinese and they take that from the Han dynasty uh, over 2000 years ago. Um, with it, there are some very interesting um, emperors. You have Emperor Han Wudi, who in the early years of his reign was a very uh, great emperor, you know, wanted to expand the empire, but then his life turns very tragic late in life where he, you know, kind of became old and senile. And, um, you know, you can read it on history, but he basically killed his own son, the crown prince, because he wanted to, and he believed in these, you know, courtiers and wanted to become or ate a bunch of pills to live forever, mm. you know, that type of scenario. And that is just really, really juicy and really interesting as well. There are some pretty good uh, historical dramas um, that have come out around the Han dynasty, but that is one as well that uh, really just catches my eye, both from a uh, reading perspective and also from a drama perspective. See, you guys are just, uh, with that, you mentioned about the juicy bits about the Empress. I feel like this is just talking to me in terms, I feel like I need to go and watch uh, something with her. And I don't know, I just feel like it'll be a very, very interesting uh, watch. But also with you mentioning about the Emperor, I feel like having these stories where these people in power go a little bit, you know, crazy, it kind of deems for a really, really good drama in a sense. So, you know, I feel like, again, that's one of the strong suits for Chinese dramas. It's because you have this, you know, vast, and I feel like it's pretty well um, documented in terms of like Chinese history feels like there's a lot um, you know, documentation that you can kind of refer back to, at least from, you know, what I've kind of gathered. Um, you know, not every culture has that, not every country has that, but it's definitely a plus, not only because you learn, you know, years and years of, you know, history but also you know when it comes to dramas you have a lot of documentation to be able to do something that's true to the story in a sense um so yeah right and next up do you guys watch any other genre of chinese dramas other than historical and if so which ones are some within you know another genre that you guys enjoy watching yeah, so the main one, we have a couple, but the, but the main one probably will be the wuxia or martial arts genre. So in the late 1990s and early 2000s, that was the time of what you would call the heyday of wuxia dramas. 
Generally, the drama adaptations would be of wuxia or martial arts books by Jin Yong or Gu Long or other uh, novelists. And they were, you know, how we really, really got interested into Chinese dramas, culture, and history because we would honestly obsessed over these dramas and then we'd go find the book and then we would also reference them to say, hey, you know, does this match what's showing up in the drama itself? Luckily, our dad had copies of these books growing up, so we would always reference them. But those dramas definitely helped us learn to read, write, and speak Chinese. So these dramas, as we mentioned earlier, oftentimes were tied to historical events. So dramas such as Legend of the Condor Hero or and there was couple of versions that have come out in the past several years, but that particular drama was set during the fall of the Song Dynasty and the establishment of the Yuan Dynasty, so think like 12th century AD. So many of those side characters and those stories are actual historical figures, so then those would be the first real introduction for us into an interest in like Chinese history, but uh, also, you know, for those dramas, you watch everybody flying around if you think, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, how beautiful yeah. that was, you know, why wouldn't you want to learn how to be a martial artist as well? Um, that's that's really, really interesting, actually. So I had a guest on a couple of weeks back and she um, she's from Hong Kong, but she lives in the UK. And she says she also talked about Wuxia and like how she grew up watching, you know, a lot of Wuxia and how um, actually I'll be interested to get your guys opinion. This is not a question, but like what do you think because I hear from people who grew up watching wuxia in like the 90s and early 2000s they say that like wuxia now first it isn't like true wuxia because it's you know the fighting style isn't what it's supposed to be but also that it's like it's nowhere near you know as good um so what are you what do you guys think about that in terms of like a comment yeah, so that's the general um, view now that the quality of martial arts dramas now is nowhere near as good as it was back in the day because um, two decades ago, people would be like the casting and the director would focus on casting characters that would match uh, the, the book characters. And they required them to learn martial arts, to ride horses, all of that jazz. Nowadays, it does seem that a lot of production companies are just like, we, we want to churn out these shows as quickly as possible. They don't force a lot of their actors or actresses to learn some of these skills, martial arts skills and whatnot. And so nowadays, it's been such a huge kind of uh, rarity to see an actor actually learn or know how to ride a horse. And when <laughs> he or she does, everyone's like, oh my God, that's like a big deal. And not even mind like the, the martial arts fighting. So Wu Lei, for example, he was in Love Like the Galaxy. Yep. I don't know if you're familiar, like I he am. knows how to ride horses and everyone just like loves when he's on horseback because so many other people are not able to do that anymore. Um, and if you really do look at the martial arts uh, choreography now versus 20 years ago, it's certainly, I mean, they had, um, you know, stunt doubles and whatever, but most people still were able to have like the composure and posture and had basic training um, for martial arts. And it was just, it's just very different now because a lot of the youngsters don't have that type of training anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that's why there's been a focus on, you know, like these fantasy dramas, you could say that fantasy dramas are easier because they, it's just CGI green screen everywhere. They don't have to actually know how to do martial arts, just pose some cool, you know, poses yeah. and that's it. Um, that's where, you know, we feel really sad and as uh, really big wuxia fans that we don't get to see such amazing martial arts anymore. I will like to add to like 20 years ago, that's where we had the biggest like martial arts stars. Well, you can't beat Bruce Lee, but that's where you had Jackie Chan, Jet Li. And then also in, in, um, in Hong Kong entertainment, you had, for example, Donnie Yen. And then of course, our latest uh, best actress winner, Michelle Yeoh, she was all mm -hmm. doing the actual martial arts stunts herself in, for example, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or in a bunch of martial arts Hong Kong movies. So back then they would actually be there fighting they would actually be doing a lot of the stunt choreography themselves we just don't get that type of um acting today 
Yeah, I um, I'm hopeful that you know they. I don't know. I feel like so last year there was a big thing about like Aichi specifically cutting down a bunch of their dramas and you know stuff and whatnot and like kind of like reinventing their you know overall idea. And I'm hopeful that they're moving towards i'm hope i'm always hopeful of this that chinese drama land is like moving forwards with like quality over quantity which they haven't been i feel like they've always been they want to churn those dramas out you know the more dramas they get out the more money they get and you know it doesn't necessarily have to be like you were saying it doesn't necessarily have to be that the actor is good for that role it's that that's a high traffic actor and they'll bring the numbers in so I, I'm hopeful that we're moving in like in a direction where they will do like they will think quality over quantity um, but you know you just never know but I, I am not like I haven't watched a lot of Wuxia but um, I have tried to like find some of the older ones to watch and they're just not available anywhere which is like a little bit sad and this is what I mean I need I just need to learn Mandarin so I can just you know be able to um, not need subs uh but that is like the overall thing that i hear from like wishia fans is like you know back in the day it's it's had its heyday but i'm hoping it'll have its like height again hopefully um with Wu Lei, you were saying i did watch last year i think uh love like the galaxy was my first drama of his that i watched and then i just watched nothing but you as well with him which is like modern and i was like i then went and watched other stuff that he was in and i was like i can't believe he's like a child actor he's like acted in so much and i can see the difference in like you know him just like you were saying him riding a horse it like it looks more natural <laughs> that you know he's riding a horse on screen and it definitely makes a difference when an actor can you know just do a lot more work than uh than whatnot and actually that just gave me a little you know inkling of a question because i feel like this is a really good question for you guys so with let, let's just you know die di dip a little bit into this dubbing does it make a difference to you guys when it's dubbed and when it isn't because for me as like international audience i can pick up i've started to be able i've watched enough chinese dramas to be able to pick up certain things but with you guys like you know the tone difference or especially like in historical dramas you might be able to tell that that's not quite from that period and that would bring you out of the story if that makes sense so what what is like just your overall thoughts on it so i'll put it this way just historically one of the main reasons or two of the main reasons why most actually most chinese dramas or period dramas or historical dramas were dubbed is because one wherever they're filming they couldn't really do the noise capture very well so then if there's a lot of background noise it's just easier to dub over and two the other is actually the fact that um many actors or actresses don't speak what you would call proper Mandarin. So for example, if you have a Cantonese actor or a Hong Kong actor or actress act in a mainland Chinese production, they will not be speaking Mandarin. So you can't really have them use their real voice for that. So most, most dramas were actually dubbed or period dramas were dubbed. When that happened, it was fine because those were professionals. What ended up happening is everybody would get like, voice fatigue, where it's basically the same like 10 actors <laughs> yeah. who would dub the same folks. And then you're like, well, you know, I'm kind of, I, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing on screen, but my ears are just still with another another drama. But um, right now, so there's actually been a really big push in the past, you know, four, four or five years for even historical dramas to be uh, not dubbed. And that has been good and bad in several ways. It's been good because then it really showcases when an actor and actress is very, very good with their own, you know, acting abilities. But it also has shown that for some people, it's shown that they're not good actors or actresses because they don't have the dub to like sub in for them. Mm -hmm. And um, that if, for example, you're as an actor, your, your voice 
skills or just like basic acting skills without a dub is not up to par. It really drags you out of the experience. And what might have been like a 7.5 rating drama really drops it down to like a six or six five simply because that one actor cannot his voice is just like not for not fit or he can't act let's put it that way so it's good and bad i i do like when we get more um of their of the actors's real voices because then there's you know that this is his or her voice instead of a dub but then other times i'm like oh i just like you as a pretty face (laughs) (laughs) with the voice so so let's please continue to dub you (laughs) um it's it's uh it's quite funny because I feel like your voice is also part of your acting. If you can't right. line deliver, then it, you know it brings you out of that character. And one that I use as an example because a lot of people will be like, "Oh, why have we got you know?" And it'll be I've had this question from international fans, and I'm like, "Well, first of all, as an international fan, if we don't speak Mandarin, we won't be able to pick up on those like different tones or different accents or you know just whole different dialects. So to us, it makes no difference." but to somebody who is listening and is watching in Chinese it'll make all the difference because they will pick up on all of that and you know it can bring that person out of the drama and I've also said a lot of the time that Chinese dramas and like you know I compare it to Korean dramas because that's you know something Korean dramas have now started to shift and be made for international audiences with all the like this money pouring in but like Chinese dramas they're still very much made for Chinese people in China so you know they're not going to be um what's the word I'm looking for they're not going to be looking to cater as much to international audiences but um just like what you were saying with the dubbing for example last year you know fairy and devil very simple one there is no way that Wang Hadi could you know have the voice of you know a 3,000 year old demon it you you just wouldn't be able to buy that character so in that aspect like I can get you know behind um the you know that I think it was I don't know if you guys watched it it was I think is it called the autumn ballad I think it was either from last year or the year before it is a historical uh drama but they I think they yeah, I watched that one yeah were they the ones that they um did a lot of the dubbing on set was it that they recorded a lot of the audio on set and then they got <clears throat> backlash for it or something yeah so I don't know if it was that one but Chao Xin the main female lead definitely used her own voice I don't think the um the main male lead did Xu Zhengxi um but certainly like Chao Xin, the female lead, is someone who is generally praised more for her modern day dramas rather than her her historical day dramas. So um, that certainly is kind of like for your final output, going back to what you said about Dylan Wang Hudi, apparently his true voice acting or line delivery is nowhere near as good as what the dubbing gentleman did for him. And so uh, people have actually questioned whether or not he can make it to super stardom status if he is going to rely his entire life on a voice dub. And this was a question for Alan Rindalun, where he used his real voice um, in Thousand Years for You, and he was panned for it. God. I bet it is quite like a fine line to walk. Um, I feel like you know you can it is something that just like with acting you can work on it you can work on like line delivery so if the actor or the actress is willing to put that in i feel like you know their whole performance will just be elevated and it will be able to take them from somebody who's good to like somebody who's really really good um so i i'm hoping that you know the new you know lot of actors and actresses coming up are like behind that push and are learning to like use their voices a bit more so that that was a whole aside but it was really interesting to get like your guys perspective on it because like I said as an international viewer I've started to pick up like when it's different dialects or you know words are said slightly different but for you guys you will be able to be able to pick up that straight away so you know it'll bring you way out of a drama way more especially if it's something like a historical drama that you know is meant to sound a certain way and then like you know it doesn't I bet it you know, it just brings the whole drama down in a sense. 
I would, I will just put the last point on this is um, the best comparison is for uh, modern day dramas, a lot of these dramas are using their real voice because, you know, as you said, it's not, you don't need as much practice. So I would say compare it to if you were requested to act in a Shakespeare play, you need to really have your line delivery set and ready to go versus if you just had a modern play, maybe you can use the same kind of uh, enunciation as we're doing right now. But for a Shakespeare play, you really need to work on it. And that would be the same for like a historical drama. That's a really good anal, uh, you know, comparison, um, actually, because I think a lot of people will be able to pick from that comparison, they'll be able to understand it a little bit more. So yeah, do you next question up is, do you guys have any tips for viewers who want to get into Chinese historical dramas? Yeah, so I mean, I would say just pick any drama and go for it. Because as you've mentioned, like our taste in Chinese dramas might be a little bit different from an international viewer. You know, if you're looking for pure, fun, historical Chinese dramas where the setting isn't fully based off of a time period and you're just looking for a fun drama, that's perfectly fine. If you're looking to learn more history, you'll want to just be aware of what drama you're picking. Um, like, for example, we talked about Joy of Life or Nirvana and Fire. Those are great options if you're just trying to get into something and like very high quality. Um, meanwhile, if you're watching the story of Minglan or Rui's Love in the Palace or Empresses in the Palace, those are set in actual periods of history for you to check in on. I think the most important thing to watch or watch for when you're watching historical Chinese dramas is to recognize that these dramas take significant creative licenses on their subjects. So it is important to take everything that you want with a grain of salt. And I always try to do my own research after watching a show, just so that I can check myself on what's actually going on in history. You can really enjoy what's being portrayed on screen, but that shouldn't be the end all be all. And I think that's a really great way to make you more interested in Chinese history. Yeah, I feel like that's a really good thing because I feel like if you were to take, and that's with any drama, if you were just to take the drama at face value and nothing else, you could be missing so much, you know, context and so much of, uh, you know, the surroundings uh, of it that, you know, it, you end up not understanding it quite as much. Um, so, yeah, actually, I have found that the one thing that I really enjoyed, so one of my favorite historical dramas, I don't know if you guys have watched it, it's called The Sword and the Brocade. It stars uh, Tan Sang Yoon and, oh, I always forget his name. Um, but yeah, that was what, yeah. yeah. Uh, the one that I, why I love that drama so much, it was the fact that it was like based on like in-house politics, if that makes sense. And that was something that I, I hadn't watched, you know, before. And I was loving the story more for that than for anything else. Like, I just wanted to know how all of these concubines were, you know, going to get along and how everything was going to get sorted. And I feel like going in and not knowing anything about it was pretty interesting because I was like I haven't watched anything like this before and now I'm intrigued um but yeah I feel like anyone going into any drama you're gonna want it like like we were saying earlier if it makes you curious enough to go and look it up then it's done it's uh it's job quite right um and let me I'm just gonna do a plug here is go 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 for it go for chasingdramas.com, we have been putting up pretty in-depth reviews for dramas of all sorts, whether it is historical or even some modern and fantasy. And so if there's something that you're kind of like, I don't know where to start, feel free to check out our website for all the drama reviews that we have put up or just reach out to us because, you know, we can certainly, um, uh, we can certainly, you know, give you some ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guide you in the, in the right direction. So, uh what oh and i literally we were just talking about this but what are some recommendations you would give to beginner watchers so if we're focusing mainly on historical dramas i would say first you know take a look just in general probably of 
if it's you want to do historical historical based on Chinese history, take a look at maybe like a period or time period that you want to get interested in, whether that's the Qing Dynasty, Ming Dynasty, Song Dynasty, I can go on and on. But if there's like a time period that you're interested in, then start with that, then focus on, hey, maybe there's a certain subject that I'm interested in, whether that is palace intrigue, whether that is a war drama, or for example, let's say if I'm very interested in here for me, if I'm very interested in, let's say, you know, Game of Thrones um, from a Western drama perspective, then maybe Three Kingdoms is going to be the type of drama for you where it's all about politicking, it's all about uh, shifting alliances. Like those are some areas that I would say, what is your interest? What do you want to learn more about? And then, you know, take a look at what you have uh, reviewed, for example, Liliana, and then, you know, just take a look at what others have recommended and just get started. If it's not your cup of tea, maybe follow what a certain actor and actress has done if you like that person in that specific drama and then go along with, with that uh, vein of thought as well. I thought, I, I feel like that has done me quite well um, as I'm following, picking and choosing which dramas I wanna watch. I feel like actually that is when people ask me for recommendations, that is how I like to recommend. I ask them, what do you already enjoy? Whether that be, you know, in your Western shows, whether that be any other Asian shows that you watch, what is it that you already enjoy? Because I feel like then you can recommend something that is, you know, similar or that already grabs them in a certain way. So that's always, you know, a good way to sort of uh, recommend dramas, I think. And so for my very last question, what are your top three Chinese dramas? And this doesn't have to be historical, just like, you know, top three. And for me, I feel like I wrote that question down and I feel like that's just a hard question to answer in general. But, you know, hopefully you guys have some uh, some answers for that. Sure, um, I'll go first. The first one, the, for, for me, the three have to be uh, Pearl Princess or Huan Zhu Ge because that really was such a blockbuster hit growing up and really sparked her interest in these dramas and Chinese in general. Um, it would also be Empresses in the Palace or Zhen Huan Zhen. And also, uh, lastly, it would be Lang Yabang or Nirvana in Fire. I think those are pretty standard classics that a lot of people really enjoy. Okay. So for me, I will also add Pearl Princess in my list, but then the second one is actually Chinese Paladin. So that is a fantasy drama that came out in 2005 and is based off of a video game, but it's like considered one of the classics of the genre for Chinese fantasy. Um, the soundtrack for that show is such a banger. You know, we still, I still listen to it sometimes as like a nostalgic kick. So highly recommend. And then for me, um, the, Heaven Sword and Dragon Saber, or in Chinese, it is a wuxia drama that features Su Yopeng, Jia Jinwen, and Gao Yuanyuan. And this is the 2003 version of this drama. Um, I just remember that one being the one wuxia drama that really got me into this genre itself. So if you're able to find that on YouTube, if there is a good subtitle, you know, a subtitled version, I would highly recommend checking that one out. So you didn't see my face, view, listeners wouldn't have seen, but my face when you mentioned that drama, like I said, I had somebody on a guest, another guest from Hong Kong, and that was the drama she recommended. And I looked for the entire internet and it just <laughs> is not available. And I'm like, I keep seeing like people recommending it and I keep thinking, I just want to watch it. Just and I Maybe feel... you have to get a DVDs now, you know, you gotta go to your Chinatown and find the, find the yeah. Or that still stocks the DVD. Maybe or we can lend you our DVD set that we still have at home and you can watch it if your computer has a DVD drive. I actually, believe it or not, I actually have a DVD player still. So there we go. Um, but yeah, I did find a version on YouTube, but I believe it's like a later version. Um, yeah. So, which I hear is not the best. Like people keep referencing to the older version, but it's just nowhere to be found. I did look, she looked as well. Like we were both looking. Cause I was like, <laughs> just, just, just find it. Like, I want to watch this. Um, 
but apparently it is not available anywhere see the curse of not knowing well i'm <laughs> sure it probably is available it just probably hasn't got like subtitles or anything yeah. um and i feel like this is a little curse of not being able to speak the language see it's just another encouragement for me to be like <laughs> I, i'm just going to sit down and it'll be like a lifelong journey of learning uh mandarin i feel <laughs> i think it'll be something like we did you watch the tv show and you're like See, I understand what they're saying because they have subtitles, like Chinese subtitles, and then you can say, okay, let me match it to the actual book and go from there. <laughs> I feel like, believe it or not, there's like a lot of phrases and words that I can pick out now and I don't even have go. to read the subtitles because like I understand what they're saying. Um, so yeah, you know, you there's stuff that like you can pick up. It, it is a lot harder in historical dramas. Like I find it much easier in modern versions. Um, but yeah, that is, like I said, the one drama that she also recommended for Wishia. We were like, no, we can't find it. <laughs> so um, yeah, that is all of my questions. Uh, do you guys have anything else you would like to add at all? No, I mean, this was so much fun. We had a blast. And thank you so much for inviting us uh, on the show, um, you know, and having, being able to talk about Chinese dramas. Oh, I always love like just talking. Well, my podcast is focused on that mainly anyways, but I always feel like I love when I have guests like you on because I get to learn so much more, um, you know, about certain areas that I don't know. Um, and yeah, thank you so much to both of you for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, and we will sign off now. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. This has been another episode of the Tea and Soju Asian Drama Podcast. I'm your host, Liliana, and you can come and chat to me on Instagram, Tea and Soju Pod, all one word, and on Twitter, Tea underscore Soju underscore Pod. You can also email me at Tea and Soju Podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider joining Patreon for extra content. Lastly, if you enjoy this podcast, please help by rating and reviewing wherever you listen to help others find this drama corner. I'll leave everything linked in the description notes. See you next time for more Asian drama chatter.